everybody welcome to the 223rd edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here just recovering from uh, knee pain as i scooched in my uh my chair to record my knee hit the leg of my desk and uh i'm playing in pain but i'm here i'm ready to talk about the this this blazers theme It, it seems like it's been a long time since we got to watch a, a Blazers basketball game. It was like, it felt like summer vacation a little bit. Like, oh, I have the evenings to myself. I can do whatever the hell I want. You know, once the Blazer game came on, I'm like, oh, all those other fun stuff that I thought I could do. There's something else way more important. I got to watch this game. <laughs> it definitely got me out of my routine that I mean teams are basically playing three and four nights or at least every other day and portland even had a an odd start to the week as the mlk game was it was at noon so that kind of threw me off my rhythm uh so the blazers had two games canceled this week due to health and safety protocols uh on the memphis grizzlies we were scheduled to play them wednesday and friday uh only two games played uh at home uh kicked it off MLK the San Antonio Spurs won handily 125 to 104 that was the first game without CJ and Nurk and the Blazers just uh, by the by the the hair of their chinny chin chins uh they escaped <laughs> they somehow escaped and managed to uh, make what was a 25 point game close and down to the wire but they hold on they defeat the New York Knicks 113 excuse me, 116 to 113, really off of another fine performance from Damian Lillard. It now puts the Blazers at nine and six, which is fourth in the Western Conference. And it's age, I wasn't watching any basketball this week because uh, the Blazers got just destroyed against the Spurs and it kind of put me in a, a bummer mood. But I kept an eye on the standings. And the great thing about having games postponed is you can't really go down in the standings. It, there's only only way to go is up. Like you, you can't lose games if you don't play. Uh, so it was nice to see all these other teams basically cannibalizing each other. And all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, we just passed the Suns. Uh, you know, we were passing uh, the Mavs and the Warriors. And yeah, here we go. Go Blazers. All of a sudden, it, sitting in the four spot, home court advantage. Um, nice little, uh, nice little one nugget after after that tough more uh, MLK day loss um clearly those two games will be played in the second half of the season hopefully uh the blazers will have nurk and cj for those contests because sage i i think it would have been bad news if we had to play the the red hot grizzlies right now down two of our, our best three players they would just attack 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 damian lillard you saw how the knicks played uh damian this game it was like in those clutch minutes where the knicks actually had to play defense they sent a lot of pressure towards damian the minutes they didn't find as important, Damien got a lot like the easiest looks he's had all season. But when shit mattered, you saw Julius Randle and and Alfred and Emmanuel quickly just reach for that fucking ball, man. Like that, this is one of those teams where you have to be really careful about those 
dribble turnovers where they're just reaching. So I, I think the Grizzlies would have just been a really big preview of that because they have intelligent defenders and aggressive defenders. A trap with Job ja Morant and, and Xavier Tillman would have been a uh, not fun time for Damian Lillard. And so we usually go in order, but since we're recording immediately after the Knicks game, it's still fresh in our minds. Let's start there, Sage, and I want to hit on a point that you, you touched on. I noticed it just like you did. The Knicks turned up the pressure, got the ball out of Damian Lillard's hands, and put two, sometimes three defenders in his his area, and it forced a lot of turnovers. Portland got all out of all out of wax. We got discombobbled, panicked. I mean, we almost had another meltdown. This was a carbon copy of the Chicago game. Dame's always been double teamed like that, but throughout his tenure, it seemed to ramp up more so in in the playoffs. But I think after his historic run last year, especially the two 60 point games, uh, the MVP of the bubble teams are now treating Dame like it's playoffs. And we've seen him blitzed hard this entire season. How concerning is it that this coaching staff still doesn't know how to make defenses pay for teams basically putting 40, 60% of their defense on the floor on one player. Like simple math says, if you put more on one, we have an advantage elsewhere. It has been nine years, Sage, and we consistently cannot make teams pay for doing that. Like that's, it's incredibly concerning for me, but I just wanted your opinion on that. You're more of the X and O's guys of the pod than I am. Dave makes the right play a lot of the time. There's sometimes where he like tries to, split the double when the right play was to pass it, but it's on our teammates to make life easier for Dame. I don't think that we help the guy getting trapped enough. We stay in our little corners and in the slots, try and help Damien out when he gets trapped, when they send so much pressure towards him. It's really, we stand in our corners, so it makes the pass a lot more difficult. I think if we scrambled towards him, made the pass easier, we would get into our offense easier and with less less time wasted. When those traps happen, we, we start our offense at like eight, and that just leads to more and more bad shots. It's like that. It, it's like a treadmill. We're just staying on it. So if we made adjustments to like, one guy tries to make Dame's life easier with an outlet, just an outlet towards for all the blitzing Knicks or whoever it is. I think it would be a lot easier. And of course, C- CJ would be the perfect outlet for Dame, but we don't have him. So maybe like a, a Gary Trent Jr. I know he's confident enough to take that, that clutch shot. I think it's just about we don't know what to do with when our, our main guy is getting blitzed. It seems that it should be a responsibility, a set role that the coaching staff defines with the players, because you're right. Everyone kind of stands around. It's like, I did you want to go to the ball? No. Is it my turn? I, I don't know. Should, should you go to the ball? And everyone just stands there. I mean, the classic example was Carmelo went to the ball, but then he's standing there getting hounded by two players and nobody comes and help him, him out. It, it needs to be okay. Player X, Y, and Z, you guys are good decision makers or good enough decision makers come to the middle of the floor, get the ball. And then you're going to have to be in triple threat position. You're probably going to have an open jump shot. You can maybe take it to the rack or if they collapse on you and they're trying to rotate, make the extra pass. And that's when you can kick out and hit your open three. Like, I don't think we need to just have Gary or CJ just waiting on the wings. And it's one pass and then the shot. Like why are the warriors so devastating with Draymond green? 
it's because he gets to the middle of the floor and he makes the right decision. Now, I don't expect anyone on our team to make decisions at that level, but we are professionals and I would much, I, I would be much more comfortable and understanding if we were at least making the first right read, like we're not even getting the ball in the right spot. I, I mentioned it on the last podcast about watching a, a YouTube channel uh, in the lab. And this was during the Raptors game. And he was even like pointing out how close to the sidelines, the Blazers like to run their action. Like you don't want to get close to the sideline. That's it's essentially the third defender. Ex- it's a third defender, yeah. like space the floor a little bit more. And that's going to, it just, you need to have set, set roles. Okay. Gary, you're going to stay in the corner. You're going to be our shooter. Okay. Maybe Covington, you need to come get the ball. Ennis, come get the ball. DJ, come get the ball. Like you don't really want DJ to be the one on the receiving end of that, you know, swung around the perimeter three. So, you know, I, I do, I have to put it on Terry Stotts. Like this is nine years and teams are only ramping up this type of coverage on Dame. It's only going to get worse over these next four to eight weeks with CJ and Nurkic out. We saw what the Pacers did. I mean, they executed it flawlessly. The Knicks probably took too much time. They let Dane get cooking a little too early. But the blueprint is out there, Sage. It hasn't gone away. It's no big secret. Teams know how to defend us. Yet we just haven't done anything to make them pay. I, I, I want to pull my hair we out. because surprised when, when this this trap happens and it happens a lot. We, you're right. It's almost like, Oh shit. It's, it's, what, what was this defense? What, what? Yeah. It, so who, who do you think would be the best player to be that outlet for Dame? Would it be Rodney? Would it be, or, or Gary or maybe Robert Covington would be good because he's, he is a good decision maker and maybe having a wide open shot would help with his, his, lack of shooting maybe it's to get robert just completely wide open shots so he can feel confident and when he's feeling confident like the defense is excellent we just need him to be scoring i mean i think it's a it's a two-step process to get to that that open shot right i don't think you're routinely gonna have dame trapped at half court finding somebody open like that that's asking a lot especially given they're usually sending larger defenders at him I think the the first step is to find somebody in the middle. You, you make that one step. Okay, now you've got the defense on their heels. You put pressure on them. They're, they're starting to bend. You have to continue to make good decisions to get them to break. So that, that first step, I think you look at guys like Ennis Cantor, uh, Carmelo Anthony, and, and Robert Covington. Uh, you trust Melo. He's a vet. He's a, he's a Hall of Famer. He's going to make the right decision. Uh, Covington right now, I would rather have other shooters taking those shots. And Ennis is an elite finisher. So if he gets the ball. He can just go and go and take it for a layup or, you know, even a, a foul line jump shot. The shooters, you're fine with guys like CJ, Anthony, uh, Gary Trent, uh, Rodney Hood. I mean, he shot 50% basically from three last year. Uh, I, I just, we're probably making it too simplified, but it, it really shouldn't be that difficult to beat a, a, a blitz or a trap. 50 feet away from the basket. I mean, given, given how spaced out the floor is at that point, you have an advantage of a four on three, maybe a three on two. Why is that not being addressed? Well, I mean, like we, we talked about it this year with like the way that we saw teams attacking Dame, a guy like Tyrese Maxey, who relentless attacker on bent defenses would have been perfect. I think that, 
we need to find guys that have additional skill sets to attack that 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 bending defense. In in today's NBA, being a, a like a just a catch and shoot three point shooter isn't as valuable. I would love to get Gary Trent into that triple threat attacking that the close because if you're just catching shooting, you're kind of limited. But if you can attack off that that closeout and once dribble pulls or some type of way to attack that defense, it would be huge. Like you saw Emmanuel quickly when we blitzed him, he did a nice floater or threw a lob. Like we got to get some guys reacting to that, that, that defense that's tilted towards Damien. So we've touched on some of the bad that we saw from, from tonight, but there was also a lot of good. I mean, you know, at one point the bleed, you have to play good to build up a 25 point lead uh, at 20 point at the half uh, Sage. The first thing that I think that that popped out to me, what was Damian Lillard at one point, he was like nine of nine from the field. He was perfect. <laughs> he just set a franchise record for a 66th consecutive free throw made. He, he had 39, eight assists, five rebounds, uh, just three turnovers, uh, six of 10 from downtown and only had to play 35 minutes. He got a nice break in that second quarter. Uh, Sage, this superstar just makes it look so effortless, so easy. Um, It's hard not to take him for granted, but, but don't take this greatness for granted. He is one of the elite of the elite players currently playing in the, in this, in this league. Yeah, I mean, how many superstars do you think are in this league right now? Eight? Nine? True super... Like, to me, it's hard because a lot of people would consider Anthony Davis a superstar, and and probably so. He's superstar talented. Yeah, maybe franchise player is the the delegation that I'm trying to bestow upon, upon Dame because Anthony Davis isn't a franchise player. You can't say you're the best player on a team and you're going to win. He's had his seven years of doing that. He can't do it. You got guys like LeBron and Dame and Kawhi and and Giannis, like those players. I think the creation ability is the real diversifier. Absolutely. Absolutely. And create being able to create for yourself and others. Like that's where you become good value to great is when you can, either set yourself up or set someone else up. I know a lot of people want us to bring a backup guard and I do too. But if we're expecting some next level playmaking from some guy we're bringing in from bringing in off the street, I think we're going to be very upset about what this player can do. Creation costs money. Being able to create costs money. Like being able to bring the ball up and make a pass, that's pretty easy to find, but creation this is like the most valuable thing in the NBA. Watching Dame, I can't help but get these thoughts in my mind. Like, I hope he doesn't ask out um, because he he deserves to play with that other elite player. Like, he hasn't had an elite player next to him. Lamarcus is the only other All Star, and I think Lamarcus, when he was he was a, he was a coach's choice. Um, he wasn't a, a slam dunk choice. Like, oh yeah, he's bonafide. He's gonna. He's a lock to make it. I love that Dame is loyal and selfishly that makes me happy. But but I, it, it's also hard not to think about you know Kevin Garnett and the Timberwolves. They had that one Western Conference Finals appearance, and they really didn't do anything since the, the front office fumbled time and time again getting him help. And uh, and by no means am I advocating for trading for Dame or 
assuming that he is asking out. It's just more of you watch this greatness. You have arguably the greatest player in franchise history that we're watching on a nightly basis. And you don't see any improvement from the team. Yes, I know we've had some injuries, but at the same time, there, there's never been, I think, a true title contending team in, in Dame's tenure. And, you know, that basketball purist, that just, you know, appreciation uh, of Damian Lillard, just a little bit of me is like, how amazing would it be if he got to play with another elite level player? I don't really want to go down this 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 avenue of conversation because I don't know if we're gonna bring that guy in. So <laughs> there, there there's that. Um, we we have a GM that's really in love with his guys. So I don't know if he's gonna be willing to sacrifice his guys and the optimism he has around his guys to get another superstar. As a basketball fan, I would love to bring in like a another superstar, but you know it, it it's it takes two to tango. We we don't have really as many assets in the war chest as we did earlier this year, so it, it's it's a really tough tough ask right now. But well, and I'm not saying it has to be done right now. I'm just saying this is again year nine of Dame. It just feels like we've seen the same song and dance from this organization. Time and time again, yes, again, we've had injuries, but I feel like that's being used as a, as a crutch rather than a bump in the road. And again, he, he's turning 31 this year. He's very well conditioned. Uh, I think he's still in his prime. So I'm not like saying it has to happen this year, but, but I'm saying like if if things maybe don't go our way this year, once Nurk and CJ get back, like I think – the organization needs to have a heart to heart with themselves and say, really, what, what, what are we doing here? Like it's, it's time to really go, go really go all in like the Covington deal for blazer standards was going all in, but like really push your chips to the middle of the table and say, this is the best player that has ever put on the red, black, and white. We need to we need to honor his his service here and and get him someone so he can legitimately have a shot. Like, not only is he the best player, Sage, he advocates for being here. He is loyal. He's the, one of the most loyal superstars that the game has ever seen. The best leader in sports. Like, I don't think we need to convince Blazer fans that the that the team needs to go all in. I think the the team needs to just really look inside and say like. What are we going to do? Yes, there's a chance it could backfire and, and you're having a couple of down years after that. But we've said this on the podcast before, when it's all said and done with Damian Lillard and his career, you want to have zero regrets with how you handle the franchise. You know, ain't no such thing as halfway crooked, bro. Like we got to push in the chips or. Exactly. Do something we're, else. we're straddling the fence right now. I mean, um, we're definitely straddling the fence and. This offseason, we were like, okay, this is the year that this core has to stay healthy and produce. Honestly, how many healthy games have we had where every single player is healthy? It's not that many. That's a great question. And after we lost to the Spurs, uh, I just was, was doing some thinking. And I remember back to podcasts, even previewing the season last year. And, and we were really high on the starting five. It's one of the many reasons we had high hopes for last year. Uh, 
it was Dame, CJ, Hoodie was coming off an incredible postseason run. You got Zach Collins, who looked really strong in that Denver series, and you get you know Yusuf Nurkic in the back half of, back half of that season. Well, we all know what happened with Zach, and then Hoodie went down, and Zach went down again, and then Nurk went down again. Sage, since that Western Conference Finals, even before that, when Nurkic went down, I believe on the 18th of March, that core, which was assumed to be the core going into the 2019-2020 season, has played zero minutes together. Not even games, zero minutes together. Like just the injuries have overlapped that is a hard thing to overcome for a franchise. So I am not naive in the fact that we have had really tough luck. But at the same time, Sage, you have to be self-aware as a franchise. And you can't just keep saying, oh, you know, we'll try it again next year. We'll try it again next year. I feel like we're continuously saying that. And I've even thought about that this year. It's like, oh, you know, you know, we'll get it, we'll get it next year. It's the coronavirus. We don't have fans in the stands. But at the same time, it's like, okay, well, Nurk does keep getting hurt. Zach has a injury that nobody saw happen on the floor, and it's going to keep him out this entire season. Uh, he's basically going to go two years without playing basketball. Uh, CJ was a bit of a, a fluke injury, but he has hurt that foot in the past. Like, there just needs to be, I think, some conversations that it, it can't just be, okay, let's just roll it on back out. Same team next year. Everything's going to be fine and dandy. Uh, because that's not what the basketball gods are telling us. You know, um, I, I just did a, a search query on NBA Wow. So Dame CJ and Yusuf Nurkic have played 242 minutes together as a, it's as a three man uh, lineup. Like even our best three don't get to play that often, man. It's it, it the injuries have been really, really, devastating towards us but we have these high opinions of each of these players but when it comes down to it this team play this core play together enough to really say i'm willing to roll with this for more years it just it's been a failed experiment injuries happen luck happens so we need to take a look in ourselves and be like okay this hasn't worked it's a total shame. It's so unlucky, but we need to pivot or in four years, we're going to have nothing to show for the best player in franchise history. It's, it's a really sad reality that we're in, but it's a reality that we have to address. And so back to the Knicks game, there were some, some changes I liked that I saw in the first half. Clearly Portland had about six days of, of rest due to the Memphis games being canceled. And you saw a little bit of that preparation come through. I liked the zone that Portland uh, came out with and played the majority of that first half with against the Knicks. The Knicks aren't a team that's going to beat you from, from downtown. We did a great job of putting Derek Jones Jr. at the top of that zone, much like he did. He ex- excelled in that role uh, in Miami And I loved Covington's individual defense on Julius Randle. Uh, Randle had 25 points, but... He had a rough game, bro. Only shot 7 of 18. You take that Free throw saved his production. He did, and he had five turnovers. So uh, I think we did a really good job with that. Um, I I loved the the, the defensive wrinkle we had there. Um, I think the Blazers lightened up a bit 
uh, in the second half. And I, I guess you'll take some progress over none, but um, what else did you like from, from tonight's performances? I, I think that that zone really made the Knicks think it took them a long time to get into their sets. And they're one of the slowest teams in terms of pace anyway. So to, to slow them down even more, it made them have a one shot opportunity or a one pass opportunity when they really got into their offense. So I thought that was a really good wrinkle. I thought that the the pick and rolls with DJJ at the top being the screener was really, really nice to see that wrinkle because when he's rolling to the basket, there's faces t- turning towards him because you don't want a momentum jam first play of the game. That's going to change everything. So we there was a lot of good wrinkles. And then in the second half, it was a lot of the same but the Lasers basketball that we've seen time and time again. You, you took the words right out of my mouth when it came to DJ on the pick and roll. I, I was so enthused that we were actually unleashing him on both ends of the court. And, and like you mentioned, second half, uh, we 19 points in the third quarter after putting up 70 through the first two quarters. Uh, the Blazers, they just fall in love with that three-point shot. There are going to be nights where we look like the first half Blazers against the Knicks. And there are going to be a lot of nights where we look like the second half Blazers against the Knicks. This was a carbon copy of the game against Chicago. It just happened that the, the Knicks didn't make as many shots as the Bulls. We we tried to really give this game away. And, and Sage, it's because the Blazers are either they're 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 just obsessed with with the the three-point shot and yes a lot of them were good looks um a lot of them were also quick one pass i'm just going to throw it up there but we shot 17 to 46 uh 37 that's not going to get it done on that amount of volume and you mentioned the pick and roll with Derek jones that was completely absent in the second half we finally broke our dry spell in the fourth quarter because we ran a pick and roll with damon ennis Cantor, and ennis is an elite finisher he got to the basket um, it's the stubbornness of the coaching staff that I think also just kind of wears me down a bit and just frustrates me because clearly there's nothing we can do as fans, but watching it, you're, you're, you're I'm texting my mom. I'm talking to Olga, talking to you, um, fans on Twitter, everyone's, you know, thinking you don't have to shoot a three every time down the floor. Like, you're up 20 points at halftime. You don't have to light the world on fire again, play good defense and take solid shots on offense. Um, I just don't think our style of play right now, I don't think our style of play being the the league leader in three point attempts per game, that that's not sustainable. You're not going to get out of the first round. You're not going to win a playoff series, beating a team four out of seven times, just relying on, on shooting a lot of threes. Like I, I think the Blazers need to, they just need to be flexible. They need to be adaptable. They need to take what the defense is giving them and realize, okay, Carmelo, you're ice cold from three, two of 10. If they're giving you that three, maybe swing it around again. You don't have to, like, just, I think just playing the game a little bit more out of instinct rather than just like coach tells us to shoot a lot of threes, we're going to get up a three. Like, I just feel like that's, drilled down into them and that's what we're seeing i think that you have to give some blame towards the players for falling in love with it it's not coach stats telling them every time down the court shoot a three but is but there's there's never been an accountability he is he has instilled a philosophy that yes gives everyone them the has green the green light, light. 
but it's not him whispering into Dame's ear lovingly. Take this forty footer. Some of the but dis- when you don't get taken out it. of a game after these the shots, like Mello wasn't taken out, and I'm not just Mello is is the prime example for tonight. It, it's not anti or pro Mello. It's just the fact that he was three of fourteen from the field, two of ten from downtown, and a lot of those threes were should have been sw- swung around the perimeter a couple more times. And, and he played twenty six minutes. Like I, I get what you're saying, and I do think the players take some of the blame here. But it's a it's it's a it's a it's a team. You got to blame if you're going to place blame on someone, it's got to be the entire team. It can't just be the coaches that have it is making them take stupid shots. They're actually they're the ones physically taking the shots. They're being encouraged to do so. It's a team effort in the distribution of shots. Stotts has a philosophy. And the players follow through, but they also are actual humans that make these decisions you know if there's a dribble drive opportunity i think dame takes it i don't i think that a lot of our players are pretty similar in the fact that they're really good at one part of offense and not good at the other how many of our players on the team can shoot drive one it's dame like so he's not a good shooter and he's not gonna be able to dribble drive well enough to do to, to like initiate offense. He's more of a straight line driver. So we kind of pitch and hold ourselves into either we're standing in the corner or are we, where we're average or good. Like it, it's, it's, it's a team effort for the shots attempted. And when they go in, it's great. I mean, it, it, it's not all stats fault. I, you can't give it all on stats. I know you, that I mean, you don't like this, but it's, it's, I don't. And I, the reason I am saying it's more on Terry Stotts is because from every interview and every post game, he says the I'll onus take, this I, year. I will take it's more on Stotts. But the it onus isn't this all year on is Stotts. to shoot more threes. He wants to get up more. Well, we're seeing that. We shot 46 tonight against a New York defense. I, I've seen more just plays just being halted on a break. We had Nasir Little on a fast break in the first quarter for a wide open dunk. And our players, like, he stopped and he passed it out to Carmelo. And then the defender re, uh, recovered and we didn't get anything out of that possession. You know, if we just would have played fundamental basketball, fast break, let, let's get to the rim. You know, I know I'm sounding like an old man here, but, you know, heaven forbid, let, let's take the easy two. I think Terry Stotts has his offensive system. The, and, and you have to think about it this way too, Sage. Outside of Dame and CJ, maybe Carmelo, they can do whatever the, whatever the hell they want in the court. You're not going to get taken out. Like they're, they're the best players on the team. And in Melo's case, he has, he has tenure, but you got a guy like maybe Ant or Gary Trent jr. If you're not following through with the game plan, there's a, there's a good chance you, you, you may ride the bench, you know, like he wants his players to take threes. I, I can, but even if they follow the game plan, Terry Stotts will take these guys out if he so chooses to. You've seen it so often this year where they're like, even if they do exactly what Stotts wants, he'll take that player out and replace him with another player at his own. Like, I agree with a lot of the points you're making uh, that I don't agree with is that it's 100% on Stotts. I think it's 100% on him, but I, I, 80, 90 is where where I would sit. I would, I would. I think it's 50-50, man. Like, 
don't know. It, it, it's the same shit. Like every every franchise that isn't elite is dealing with what we're talking about. Every podcaster on Dash Radio, like all of these people that are dealing with bad to good teams are dealing with this this problem. It isn't just the Blazers problem with with this version of the NBA with the space and pace a lot of teams are doing exactly what we're doing. So I I I mean like it's the culture of the NBA. There's so many other factors to what is happening with the game. So you're to put it all absolutely right. No, you're works. absolutely right and I think that almost cements my position even more because you're, it feels I like mean, you no 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 just listen. It feels like we're now just we're following. We're we're not innovative anymore. This is what we want to do. We're we're just doing the same thing that every other team is doing. We yeah. do not we do not separate ourselves from the rest of the league. Now I'm not saying you start two you know seven footers and, and go out there and try and bully ball. You're going to get destroyed. But I would like to see a little zig when everybody else is zagging. You know what I mean? Like it just. Well, I mean, if we were healthy, there there's an argument to be made that we are zagging while everybody's zigging. But with what we have right now, the best use of our assets that we have that are very similar to one another is probably a four or five out offense where it's pick and roll heavy and they're incentivized to take threes. I I know that you don't like this offense, but where we are right now with the players that are healthy, I think that this is probably the offense that we're going to be running. If we're healthy, I bet there's going to be a ton of other wrinkles. We just haven't been healthy ever this season. We, I, I would I would argue that we were healthy ish. I mean, ish. Zach's not you, healthy, you, you, but I mean, I'm but not, every I'm, every team is not fully healthy. But we had our starting five healthy for the first 13 games of the season. But we were, and we were without, still on pace. We were without a key contributor on the bench for most of the year. Out. Who's that? Well, there was games where Gary Trent was out, Mello was out, Rodney Hood take took breaks. Like we haven't been 100 percent healthy. But but again, I, I think every team is dealing with that, whether it's the, the coronavirus, whether it's personal reasons or injuries because the season ramped up so quickly after, after the bubble. But we, I would say before Nurk and CJ went down, we had relatively solid health. Like I will take that every year. If, if your core players aren't getting hurt and they're, they're playing, okay. Like, I mean, that's why we were such a deep team and we're like, okay, we can we can handle a game without Carmelo here or, you know, Rodney can take a couple games to, to get right. Um, GT as well. Like, you know, we're, we're built to do that, but maybe, maybe the, the modern NBA just, just isn't for me because the stage, I gotta be honest with you. I, I watched that game against the Knicks and I was not entertained. I was, it was, I, I loved the pick and rolls with Derek. I loved seeing him. I loved the defense we played in the first half, but I mean, just watching three after three get launched. Like I think the NBA in the competition committee, they, they they need to extend the three-point line because players like Damian Lillard, yes, they should be shooting 10 to 15 threes because they are fucking amazing at it. Harry Giles should not be attempting a three. You, you know what I'm saying? Has like, he? yeah, he attempted a three tonight. Like he, he's just like, um, so that's what I'm saying. Like to go on I to the point be, about health though. So our starting lineup has played 394 possessions quite a bit. Then ever the backup the the team that's the unit that's played the second and most has only played thirty minutes together out of the whole year. So it's tough to get continuity when one person has been out a lot. Like 
So it, it's tough to like, you know, it should be unit one, unit two getting the most minutes, but it's 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 four different t- uh, units playing 60 possessions, 62, 63, 55, and 44. Like it, it's it's not the definition of health when we have to shift in units so often and we haven't found that second unit. We're we're not a perfect team and there's going to be flaws that we have to talk about and that, that's that's what we're doing right now. It's a it's a very very flawed team because we talked about the Knicks. Uh we played the Spurs on MLK noon tip. Blazers hung tough until a fourth quarter where the Spurs went bonkers out the Blazers bro. 38 to 22. Um again, I think this is this game was kind of a, I think, a, a really good evidence for, for the frustrations that I think a lot of fans are seeing. I think Terry's initial strategy, and I talked about this. I said it out of my mouth. Let's let LaMarcus shoot jumpers. Well, he started to get hot, and we didn't really make any adjustment off of that. You talked about Patty Mills. I feel like every time we see Patty Mills, he lights us up, uh, man. He is the quintessential like spark plug off the bench. Like he he's phenomenal. I loved his tenure in Portland. Wish he would have gotten a little bit more run under Coach McMillan, but uh, he's blossomed in in San Antonio. I mean, he's he's basically a Spurs lifer at this point. He's the last remaining member of that 2014 championship team. Uh, he looked fantastic, and then. You had Rudy Gay come in, who just seems to give us buckets lately with the Spurs. And then we could not get a rebound against Jakob Pertl yeah, to save Pertl our life. Was the reason they won, bro? Without a doubt, that, like it was. That's, just, uh, that's so disheartening to, to it, say. It was that. Harry Giles versus Jakob, and Jakob yeah. was just pushing him out of the way and getting all those boards and second chance opportunities. That was like, really hard to watch because you hear everything about Harry Giles coming in, putting in the time. He's getting his shot, and was a complete non-factor uh like you said that's he why was just I said getting... that I, th- I thought we we're what what i would have recommended us doing is saving ennis for Jakob because ennis would have put up a bigger fight for those rebounds than uh what we were what we had at that time like that's why i was thinking that he would just he would play his four minute starter time and then just match Jakob because it, it 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 was a it was embarrassing how bad we were outboarded that game i mean i don't think lamarcus even played in the fourth quarter no, like he was, was the, yeah, yeah okay i'll pull he, it up but Jakob was, he was cooking and then purtle comes in there and pops like now nah, you're good la to take the rest of the night off chills um, chill god let me handle this what was, what was the date of that game 18th thank you and it, it was frustrating because Dame had another brilliant performance. I mean, 35 points, six assists. He kept us afloat and it, it went went for naught. If Jakob played the entire fourth quarter, except the last two minutes where they were just like, screw it, let's put Trey Lyles in. He was yeah. dominant in that time. He was getting offensive rebound, defensive rebound, made two, offensive rebound, assist, block shot, offensive rebound, offensive rebound made do like he was he was keeping them in the game with hustle yeah the spurs out rebounded us 48 to 34 and for a blazer team that i would say under terry stotts generally is a good rebounding team that's just something that we don't see very often so that's that's so 
hard to watch when you're usually good at, you know, boxing out and cleaning the glass to just get dismantled by Jakob Hurdle of all, of all players. Like that, that, that was a, was a tough L if, if, if I'm being honest. Games have been so separated that it's hard to draw conclusions, but I think that we can say that the Blazers were the more talented team in both of those games, but the other team was more aggressive than us. We have a problem with not being as aggressive as the opposing team, especially the starter games. Like they'll just out hustle us. And then we have to fight like cats and dogs to get back into it. I think if we could match their energy on the hustle boards, the rebounds, the steals, the effort plays, I think these games would be a lot less drama filled. Like it's dramatic. The last five minutes of blazer games now. It is. And it's hard to, it was until you mentioned uh, that about the Spurs, since that game happened so long ago, I, I forgot that since we lost by, by 20 plus, that, that marked the fifth straight game we had basically succumbed to a 16 or 17 point deficit in five straight games. Um, we won three of those games, but that's that's just not a good habit to build. It's a, I mean, bad, thanks, thanks it's for, a bad narrative to have, bro. It, and it, that's exactly what you said. They were more aggressive. And I, the Indiana Pacers, they were more aggressive from the jump. And I would, uh, I would say that they, they didn't have Victor Oladipo. We were a more talented team at that moment. They wanted it more than we did. And that's been the case a lot of this time. Like we are the more talented team on paper, but paper doesn't play games, actual humans and their effort and desires do. Like Absolutely. we didn't match TJ McConnell's effort. We didn't match Edmund Summers' effort. Those guys are on the fringes of the league, right? So like they're going to bust their ass to stay in this league. We didn't match think- the hustle. Do you think it's a easy enough? Because what we're seeing this across the league, Sage, the Blazers are getting, they're either winning a close game or they're getting blown out. Uh, you're seeing crazy results on a nightly basis. This Knicks team uh, beat the shit out of the Sixers and the Celtics this year already, uh, but they've lost to the Kings and they, you know, it was just a weird game tonight with the Blazers. The Blazers blew a 20 point lead against the Bulls, but, you know, somehow destroyed the Warriors on New Year's Day and beat the Lakers without Carmelo. Um, so there's just been a lot of, weird games do you think it is a just a blanket enough statement to say the lack of fans in the arena is the primary result or the primary reason for so many random results and blowout uh performances i would say that's a i think that is a a a major data point towards why it is i would say the the biggest one is that these games are so condensed that if you're down 15 with seven minutes left, most of these coaches are going to pull their guys because there's a game tomorrow and they don't want to play their starters 40 minutes unless they're Tom Thibodeau. Like, I think that, I think that the frequency of games is the biggest factor, but I think that the fan base of like the lack of fans affects certain players a lot. So I think it's a, uh, it's column a and column B I think they're both huge games being blown out a lot more. Um, I mean, you if you watch the Houston Rockets versus Dallas Mavericks on uh, national TV, it was like eight minutes left in the game, and the Mavericks were putting Boban and uh, Josh uh, Josh Green in the game. Like they just wo- wait, waved that white flag very early 
in in a normal season, I don't think I think Luca would be in there for like four more minutes. So those, those superstars minutes are getting cut if the the coach is responsible. And then obviously there's the the looming pandemic that yeah, all, I mean there's so the many players factors this with. season and why it's fluky. And that's I, I I do I keep that in mind when I, I watch a game and see something that happens. But I think more my frustrations, at least on this podcast and previous ones. It was just more style of play that even if the fans were in there, like I, I don't think they, they're not changing. Their, they're not changing that style, bro. It, yeah, it's 2020. Like, it's 2021. Excuse me. I should, I should yeah. say the right year. Yeah. I, I don't think they're, they're not going to be, I'll say this. The Blazers will not be happy with how their season ends. If they continue to play the style, I think they have the, the team is talented. I do like the roster. I, I've seen flashes of what this team can do when they play team ball. Mm-hmm. We had 19 assists again tonight. That, that's not going to get it done on a consistent basis. It was uh, more of an anomaly than the norm when, when it comes to a 72-game season. Uh, I think the team really needs to dig deep. They've shown me flashes of brilliance on both the offensive and the defensive end. Um, I hope it, it gets better with time because, like I said, I do. I really like this roster. And anytime you have the greatest player in franchise history, you're going to have a good chance at, at winning. So uh, let's hope that with more practice, with more games, with more repetition, builds rhythm, builds continuity, builds chemistry, that we start to see maybe some more um, elaborate schemes on offense and defense. Because, like I said, the team's talented. The team is too talented to be kind of where they're at right now. But I would, I, I mean, outside of CZ McCollum, and Damien being Damien being brilliant. I would say every other player is dealing with negative regression on in, in their production though. Like, so when, when stats start to normalize and games start to be more positive with the, those secondary and tertiary players, won't that help with how difficult it is to score on open shots and other things like, we can we can look at it at a negative perspective, but what if Robert Covington starts hitting, and what if when Yusuf comes back, he looks more engaged, or DJ? They we start finally hitting DJJ when he cuts the basket. Like there's there's things that we can do to improve offensively and defensively. There's certain teams that I watch where it's like this is fucked up, this scheme is fucked up. I don't know how they manufacture points or how they manufacture stops i see how they manufacture points with the trailblazers i can see how they constructed their defense is it the most optimal thing no but i like it isn't as fucked up as some teams i think the key to a great offensive scheme is playing to each player's strength so do you think that we have too many like how do we make it so it's more towards each person's strength when I would say Gary Trent, Rodney Hood, and and Robert Covington are very similar offensively. They are. They're incredibly similar offensively, and I think they could still get their same shots out of an offense that maybe isn't as hurried. Isn't, you know, they're not trying to get up as many shots as possible over the course of, of 48 minutes. Um, and what I mean by playing to, to the strengths is right now it feels like if Dame doesn't have an opening um, and if we don't run pick and roll, it's one pass in a shot. 
And that's what's being okay. That's what that's what the league. Not this isn't a Portland problem. This is a league wide problem, as you alluded to. If you play to a certain strength, let's say Ennis Cantor, you talked about per, per, uh, production. His production has been incredible. Uh, yeah, he definitely has been a, a positive. Uh, and he is fantastic. He has fantastic hands. He's a uh, probably one of the best offensive rebounders in the league, and he finishes around the hoop. There's not many players that are going to stop him. It would just, you know, let, let's feed him a couple of times. doesn't have to be consecutive plays, but run him on some pick and roll. You talked about Derek Jones Jr. Those are easy points that you can count on if you find him for lobs, if you find him slashing. I think um, we, we attempted to do that today. It we was are very inefficient, it, though. But I, but that, I'm okay with that because we're trying something it, different. It's a different type of, of thing. Of, and actually, if the pass was there, we tried to do it to Harry as well. If the pass is there... It's 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 an easy two points. That is what is open in today's NBA. If you want to go to the basket, is the lob pass. We have to. Bottom line, we we have to get better with that. But the, but again, I mean, that's we, playing we had to like Derek's, one of the best dudes at it last year, and we refused to do it. <laughs> I mean that that's playing to Derek's strength. You talked about Nurkic. Nurkic is good in the pick and roll. Nurkic is good. I think at times when he can initiate the offense at the top of the key, yes, he's going to you know turn the ball over a little bit, but he's also a really good passer. Especially oh, he's when you get definitely a good passer when you get your guards moving without the ball. Like I, I like just to see differing layers of the offense rather than okay, it's just going to be Dame dribbling the ball up the court, and it just allows the defense to get set. Like maybe it's okay. That's why I like when Nurkic gets the ball because then Dame can run off some screens, and then the defense really has to pay attention at all times. But to go back to your point about, you know, Cove, Hood, and Trent, I want them shooting threes. Like, that's where they are comfortable. You know, Rodney is amazing at posting up, and I think you should always look at that advantage. And Gary is starting to um, develop a, a pull-up mid-range uh, off of the bounce. But for the most part, those are all catch-and-shoot shooters. And I think that should be the product of – Dame dissecting the defense, whether that's off of the pick and roll, whether that's splitting the defense, um, swinging the ball around the perimeter, like putting pressure on the defense. Like it's easy for teams to defend us off of one pass. You know, they'll, they'll take that result if it goes in or not, because they don't have to expend a lot of energy. Mm. You can wear them down like a prize fighter. If you're making them move their feet for 20, 24 seconds, on a consistent basis. And I'm not saying just pass to pass, but swing the ball around, cut and move, make them exert a lot of energy. You're going to get a wide open look. I mean, the rules are already beneficial to the offensive players. And just, that's just how the game's being officiated, you know, be aggressive, take your time. And if the the shots there, take it. Like, I think my biggest overarching complaint is I think we, we rush shots and those shots tend to be, threes like the, the Knicks have no I know they have a, a revitalized defense under Tom Thibodeau outside of some pretty solid on ball defense a couple possessions from Alfred Payton th- there's nobody there that that's going to deter me from trying to run my offense age so I, I think that's what I, I want to see is like and I think that's where the great teams live they always mm. keep you off balance see your concept and I agree with your concept I think a lot more off ball movement would be great I just haven't seen it with this team ever really it, it's just not what is we it do. that the problem yeah it is but like that's, I don't, that's I, my that's my gripe right there I, I, I don't see us fixing it though do you and again that's that's why i've been wanting to move on from our coaching staff for quite some time i think i would say pro- that i've been thoughts for 
I think the beginning of this podcast, I was way more anti than you. And now you've overtaken me a lot. <laughs> this season, I've been, it's been noticeable. Oh, you've um, been way more critical of this team than than I've I have. been. Yeah. And that's, that's a product. And, and I'm equally as critical as Neil O'Shea. Like you won't hear anybody be as mad about the off season of 2016, how we fucked up the 2017 draft, but Neil O'Shea did an incredible job this off season. Everyone, not just Blazer fans, multiple pundits, experts, other, other teams, fans, Blazers had a great off season. We, I, I still like our roster. So that's why the pressure is on Terry Stotts. I, I know there's going to be a built-in injury excuse and it, it is real uh, as we have discussed, but we still have Dame. Like we still have, have a good team. Like if we miss shots that come off of good movement, come off of a good set design, you, you can't get mad at that. And, and I'm not. Again, I mean, it's a make or miss league. You kind of like, if, it, if it's it a, is it's a make a, or miss league and the Blazers won tonight because they made more shots. And some of hmm. them shots are shots that aren't going to go in on a consistent basis. You're going to get nights where you get super hot and you're going to get nights when you're super cold. I think the perfect example is those back-to-back games against the Warriors we were hot on New Year's Eve, and then the Warriors came out, punched us in the mouth, and we weren't as hot. We couldn't keep up with them. I mean, I, I think we've talked about everybody that's really played this game except Anthony Simons. What did you think about Anthony Simons' game? It was it was nice for him to have make See the ball make go in shot. the basket. Yeah, like that. That I think that that made him that made that gave Terry Stotts trust in him to keep him in in clutch times where I think if it was a normal Anthony Simons game, he would have been out at like 13 minutes. I don't think he would have played the second half, but he, he made buckets. He, I think that he play made better than I I've seen him in the last like two weeks. Like this was it. He doesn't drive. And that, I think that's an issue when setting up players because the defense doesn't have to react as far. I think he's that he a, made he's a, a one move good player plays right now. Per, as a point guard. And uh, the the game against the Spurs, I, I I made a note that he did it once where it was like, oh, this is a good playmaking. This is a good creation possession for Anthony. I think he was more engaged because he had the minutes and he was hot. But if you ask me how I thought he did, I think it's because he made shots. He, he made shots that he, 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 he took the same shots as he always takes. Yeah. Um, I would honestly say that the way the Blazers are handling Anthony Simons, it's it's square peg, round hole. Um, he is clearly a shooting guard on a roster that already is incredibly deep w- with shooting guards. We're, we're forcing him to play the point. He's not going to – I mean, I don't want to say he's never going to become a good point guard, but from, from what I've seen, this is year three. I, I'm not seeing, like I said, the, the second, third decisions that he's making. It's, it's a one dribble pull-up or he's just passing the ball back on the perimeter. The the best, the most excited I got about Anthony tonight was when Dame was doubled and he threw a laser to Anthony. Mm-hmm. He caught and shoot it. Yep. I was like, okay, he can play alongside Dame, but he's got to be the two. Yeah, I, I yeah, I mean, we Ian, this is not do- his fault. Like, no, he's, we he's we did a disservice a to him. It's not yes, like he's we doing a disservice. Doing to a us. disservice to him. Yeah, yeah, he is not the problem. The problem is that the rotations and the positionality of Anthony Simons is, is, is messed up. If he was the two I mean, and there was a point, guard, a backup point guard that could just run a little offense. I think he would look a lot better, 
But because of how we wanted to utilize our cap, I don't think that he was put in a good position to succeed. It's it's really on the staff and the basketball operations people to not put him in a, uh, in a place to succeed. And obviously they know that they did this to him. It's not like they aren't yeah. aware of, man, Anthony really is a two, but we need to be have him play one minutes. Like they know they obviously know. And, and just as much as I was hard on Terry earlier in the episode, I'll be equally hard on Neil right now. This, this is Neil Olshay's problem. He picked him. It's his guy. He ranted and raved. He hyped up Anthony like none other. Again, not everything out of Anthony's control. And he's basically saying, I'm, I went out and I went out and I got Covington and Cantor and Childs and, and Jones. I specifically did not address that backup point guard because he is my backup point guard. Mm-hmm. Like in that case, he forced Terry Stotts' hand. I am completely aware of that. So like the, the Simon situation, Stotts get, gets a pass for that because this, this is on Neil. And, and we can't predict we, like there's no way for us to project four weeks of without us having CJ McCollum. There was no way that you, myself or Terry or Neil or anybody in Blazers organization could be like, we got to project for this injury to happen. That was an injury that happened and it was unfortunate. And because of our roster construction and team construction, this is a really bad place for us to be at, but I, I want him to feel engaged and empowered. This was like, we've seen like four confident Anthony games. I really hope that this time he can get some confidence in himself. Cause he's one of the top 400 basketball players in the world. He's extraordinarily talented. He just has to know it in his heart. You, we saw Emmanuel quickly play today. You can't tell me that dude it wasn't confident as hell going against us, bro. Like he was, he was doing veteran sw- uh, swing through plays to get the three free throws when it really should have been two. Like he was in his back. If we could get Anthony to be as confident as Manny quickly, like that would be so beneficial for a very weird season that we're going through. One other player I wanted to discuss on the Knicks during the Knicks game was Robert Covington. He was everywhere defensively, uh, blocked Mitchell Robinson at the rim. Uh, I thought he put the clamps on Julius Randle. I mean, Julius probably had his worst game of the year, and I think Robert was a huge reason why. But as we discussed on text, we're not getting the two-way production from no, Covington. No. His three-point shot is it's it's MIA. It's missing in action. He is three for his last 23 over the over the past four games. 0 of 6 tonight against the Knicks. And he is he is really close to going sub 30% from downtown this year. Sage, we are at a pretty big sample size right now. He has played in all 15 games. Are we going to see Covington improve? And if so, how and why? I think, okay. I just looked up his uh, fantasy minute, his fantasy production per minute. Holy fuck, he's awful right now. Um, a good um, I know this is not basketball related at all, but but I mean it sort of is, but a good fantasy producer, 0.9.1, you're feeling really good about what he's producing. He's at a 0.69. So like he's not he's kind of not really on the court in terms of production. 
I think that he will get better. He's a professional. He know like he knows he's been struggling. You obviously can see it on the court when he's not feeling as confident as humanly possible. I, I think that positive regression will happen for Albert Covington. If you're asking me when, I have no idea, bro. That that that's that's a million dollar question that I don't have an, an answer for. So because if you look at the trend, he shot. 39% during the first half of 20. So he, he's been traded quite a bit. You know, he was traded for Jimmy Butler. So when he was started out in Philadelphia in 2019, 39%. To end 2019 in Minnesota, the, the one year they made the playoffs, 37%. Uh, he continued a pretty hot streak. He was 35% in Minnesota. Then he gets traded to the Rockets and he plays 22 games there, 31.5%. Right now he's at 30%. So the trends would say, it's it's not going to get better. I, I'm not saying the, the, it's the, not the, going the, to. The, the the percentages are so. If he had three games of like really hot shooting, it wouldn't be 32 percent, be 35. Like, I I think that. But I'm looking at the attempts as well, and he's pretty similar in the amount of attempts. And and say so you can just watch him. Like right right now, we're not getting an even this average the, shooter. This is the absolute basement of Robert Covington's career right now, right? In terms of offensive efficiency, this is his worst year. Yeah, maybe his even, year even when with he wasn't the Rockets, at all. he was still averaging twelve a game. He's at six and a half right now. I, I, he doesn't look comfortable. He doesn't look comfortable mm. at all. And when I when I talk about rushing threes, he's at the top of my mind, and, oh, and yeah. I think. And I think it is because he's not hitting the open ones and Terry's probably, and when he passes up one, because he's not hitting them, Terry's probably saying, Hey, you know, like any coach would keep shooting, keep shooting. And then he's like, Oh, I got the ball. I have to just throw it up. And, and you're seeing a lot of rushed attempts. It's rushed from, attempts, bad attempts Roko. and passed up attempts. That's what Robert yeah. Covington's doing. If I think that he's having a really bad slump percentages are down. But I think he'll bring it up to like 34% where he's an average shooter. He's just not confident right now, and that's affecting his offensive game. Defensively, I think he's really brilliant at times and everywhere that he's supposed to be. Like, he's a really smart defensive guy. I think the offensive abilities will be there, and it's just a, it, it's just a, a slump, a really bad, awful slump. But I think that he'll... Normal, he'll normalize, and it will be like he'll be an average shooter. He's a professional basketball player. He, I think he'll get it. It's not like we can pull the plug on Robert Covington either. We've no, traded I'm so many assets for him. I'm not advocating that we have to ride. We have to ride with him for these two years. No, and and I love what he brings defensively. Like we clearly addressed a need with with defense, but he with what we gave up, he was touted as a two way three and D player. We need the three. Like, mm-hmm. if we're going to make any noise in the playoffs, our two-way players got to show up. You know, that's that's Nurk, that's DJ, that's uh, Cov. Hey, yeah. Um, I was very curious about how Robert Covington and Gary Trent would play together, and it's not good. But I think I think that. In theory, I think that those two could play really well together, but in reality, it, no, he isn't. But it, it's, I have faith in him. I have faith that he is going to be an average shooter. This is just really bad. So hopefully he can get in, into one hot streak where he feels confident. 
It's just, it's just about how he is mentally right now. And it's a pandemic. So you don't like everybody's dealing with some sort of stress and some sort of trigger right now. Right. We don't know what's happening with Robert Covington right now. So when we watch him, we're worried about what he's become. There could be something that's happening. I think that him being a professional athlete, him, he's 30 years old. He knows he's fucked. He's not playing as well as he absolutely can. I, I, I trust that he will get it right. One player who we saw really break out for the first time in over a year was Rodney Hood. I think he was Against the bright Spurs. spot of the Spurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terry decided to start Rodney uh, as it was known that CJ was going to be um, basically on the mend, on the mend for, for quite some time. Like it's going to be four weeks until he's reevaluated um, from that, that left foot sprain and hoodie looked great. Uh, nine of 14, 21 points. Um, he was doing hoodie things. He he had a bounce to him. He was doing one dribble pull-ups. He was punishing smaller Spurs defenders in the post. Um, he didn't get quite as much run tonight against the Knicks, but you have to like Rodney Hood looking like his former self. Like if that's something that you can take for the end, uh, the stretch run of this season, you take that and you package it up and you you just hope like hell like the, the, that he continues to blossom because he was so good last year over the first month um, as that starting three. We mentioned shooting almost 50% from three, but just the, he is a, I would say he is a, um, a coach changer in the sense that the coach has to change their defense when he is in the game and on his, on his, on his game. We, we saw it in against Denver in that, that playoff run. He took Jamal Murray out of the game defensively because he was punishing him down low. Hoodie is, is he's like a changeup in baseball. You don't see many guards post up anymore, but he can do it effectively. He's very efficient. Um, he is a player that also doesn't, you know how you see players out there and they're dribbling the ball and they're using a lot of movements. He doesn't waste a lot of movements. That's one thing I He's very decisive. It's one thing I love about watching him play. And even though we got blown out, it, it was nice to see him mentally know that, fuck, I, I've still got this. Like, I'm still I going to. I think he moved to... better in that game, especially off ball, than you and I thought he possibly could. There Absolutely. Were game, there were sessions where he would pop out and run to the corner, and it was just like vintage Rodney Hood, like from Duke or Portland when he in in that part part of the season where he looked great. There were there was moments and flashes where oh shit, this is the old Rodney Hood. I wonder if you saw him take that charge. I wonder if that was the reason why we didn't play him that much after after he took that hit. Like that he was he took a charge from Julius Randle full speed. Like I, I wonder if that was the reason why we didn't see him get additional run. I think that's a really good observation. They're probably going to be really careful with, yeah, with I mean, he, he had the most devastating injury ever for an athlete. And Julius Randall's a fuck it. Like full speed. Julius Randall is a fucking house. Like he's, he's so built and so strong. And so he was going so fast. Like you saw him it be in pain. So I think the Blazers were really uh, protective of him because he he's the type. He, 
doesn't need the ball to be effective, but he can run offense a little bit. Like he he's special. He specialized in the fact that he can do multiple things. So I think we're we were being very cautious of him because that was that was a hit. That was a football hit, man. Absolutely, but it was nice to see him look like his former self. Absolutely, and that's first. Did you sit like? You and I posted about him on Twitter so much that Spurs game. Like, he was the one shining star in that game, man. He kept us afloat. And, you know, we, we talk about, okay, you've got Dame. He's playing at his level. CJ was playing at all-star level before he went down. If Nurk can get to his level, Hoodie can get to his level. Clearly, Coving, Covington can start shooting the ball better from three. We start incorporating Derek Jones a little bit better. You know what you're going to get from Cantor. It's the beauty of Ennis. That's what... Gary Gary starts to have more nights like he did against the Lakers. If the team can just come together, um, they, they can be special. And that's why I think I am so critical of the players, the, the, the management, the coaching staff, is because this is a fucking good basketball team. We shouldn't have to settle for a first round exit. We shouldn't be happy with that. We like this, this team should be good. And I I hope to God that after the season's over, we're talking about a pretty good playoff run. Uh, Again, I I don't think we're we're championship contenders. My, 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 there's no rose colored goggles here, but this is a good basketball team. And I, I think when they have nights like the bulls, and you continuously see them getting down by 15, 16 points, you kind of have to say, okay, what's going on here? Like this is a better team than that um, because you see how well they can play when they, when they beat the Lakers and say, they're going to have some opportunities to round up this homestand and then head out on the road for some winnable games. Um, so let's dive into this week's slate of games. Uh, as I mentioned, they, they play tomorrow against the Oklahoma city thunder that closes out the homestand and then they head out on the road for their first extended trip, their first extended trip outside of the state of California for a six game road trip. They have that kicks off with the Houston Rockets Thursday. And then Saturday, we will talk about the Chicago Bulls um, in the Windy City. That'll be a nice uh, little rematch there from earlier on in the season. So Sage, let's kick it off against the OKC Thunder. Um, it is a team that has fallen on some losing ways after surprising, I think, everybody after all of the, the transactions they made that this uh, offseason, including a, a new head coach, but they are now six and nine on the season and they, they are above 500 um, away from Chesapeake Energy Arena. They are five and four on the season away from home, but again, they've lost three straight, but it will be a pack to back for the Blazers who probably had to expend more energy than they thought they would have to. Yeah, they would have preferred. Um, after having a 25 point lead. I mean, so I think they played their best ball when George Hill and Al Horford are on the court with Shea Gilgis Alexander. And right now Al Horford is away from the team. So now Isaiah Roby is getting the start at the five with uh, Darius Baisley at the four. They're the type of team that is so young and, I think the key is to to make them not want to try hard. When you give teams like this that are young, hungry, like you look at this team and they don't have any star players outside of a potential Shea Gildress Alexander. 
So they're fighting for their job. This is one of those, those matchups where we have to match their energy. We have to match that energy because if we don't, they're going to out hustle us and they're going to keep this game close and they're going to be inspired to play really hard basketball. So you mentioned not giving them an incentive to play. Well, like us, they, they played tonight. They lost by eight against the Los Angeles Clippers um, down in Staples. The Clippers jumped out on them 36, 19 after one. This team, they, they didn't quit though. Um, so it's, I think it's going to be tough to, to get this Thunder team, um, I think, just devastated and not wanting to play. Like, they have players like Lou Dort is like a human energizer bunny. Like, he's going to hound Damian Lillard and our guards all and night. George Hills, a wily vet, he knows how to, you know, how to get strips. Like, in, like, like you said, they have players who it's kind of like a hodgepodge, you just mix of of vets and young players and rookies and people looking to find their way, looking to stay in the league. They've built a culture of really just trying to, they, they're, they, they're going to play spoiler. I think, especially if they keep Hor- uh, Horford and he comes back, um, like you said, he's away from the team right now. They're going to play spoiler for a, a lot of teams down the stretch because they just, they, they don't give a fuck. They, they play hard. That's one yeah, of the reasons they to, surprised everyone last year. The, the GM of the Thunder, they're trying to impress the 29 other GMs. You, you mentioned impressing the GM of the Thunder. That is a great point because OKC has a plethora of draft picks mm-hmm. and you better believe they're going to make those draft picks and you don't want a, a young rookie coming in to take your spot. So yeah, that's that's putting pressure on guys like Darius Baisley and Lou Dort to uh, Isaiah Roby to produce. Like, um, look, I, I mean, I'm looking at the team right now. It's Lou Dort, Darius Baisley, Shea Gildress, Alexander, George Hill, Isaiah Roby. The backups are Hamadou Diallo, Mike Muscala, Theo Maladon, Kenrich Williams, Alexis Pokashevsky. That's so many rookies. That's so many rookies and so many unknown players. Like. A casual NBA fan will know who Shea Gilders Alexander is and Lou Dort. Most of these guys aren't well-known basketball players. I know it because I'm a gen DFS player, and I know every single one of these players pretty well. But like most people don't. So the, this is why this game this game scares me. It's because they don't give a shit. They're trying to impress every GM in the game. They're going to try really hard. So we have to match that energy. So that's my number one X factor. Can we match Oklahoma City Thunder's energy? I think my X factor will be how we decide to defend the Thunder. They shot 7 of 35 tonight from downtown against the Los Angeles Clippers. Looking at their roster, clearly you don't want George Hill to shoot threes. But maybe aside from Mike Muscala off the bench, I think you could incorporate a similar zone scheme that you did against the New York Knicks and really try to wreak havoc. I mean, I think this is, you know, tailor made for DJ and Roko just to, just to go unleash and and get, get, get those balls, uh, hands on balls, active hands. Let's lead to some fast break points. And I think my X factor is terms of personnel. Ooh, this is going to be a tough one, but we spend a lot of time talking about him. I think Robert Covington, like, I think this is his get right game. Um, I agree with you, actually. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's going to get a lot of looks and, you know, I think Dame's going to do Dame things, but I think this is a game that that Rocco can do well and probably Gary Trent off the bench. So um, I got Portland winning this game. I do as well. My biggest question, though, is 
what are we going to do with our bigs? I don't think Ennis Cantor is in a plus p- position against any single player on this team. That's that's a big. Baisley and Roby are both athletic and want to like run. No, around. you have to put Covington on Baisley. That's just a, a, a nightmare if you're trying to put Ennis on him. How does he just play when Mike Muscala plays? Oh, I, I would rather him play Roby than Muscala. Muscala is going to put him out on the perimeter, and you don't want to give Mike Muscala open jumpers. I think this is one of those games where you have to be, where your coaching staff has to be like, okay, Ennis, this isn't a plus matchup for you. There's going to be plenty of games where you're a huge factor. If shit isn't looking good, you might have to pull him and and save him for the Rockets, where he definitely has a plus matchup to go against. I think this is an ideal game to go small with Covington as your five. Absolutely. Like I think that Robert Covington five minutes are going to be at a pre like that's going to be one of the 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 games where we get to see a, a very athletic switchable team. But I think we do win. I do worry about Ennis's minutes in this game. I don't think that there's a matchup that I I feel comfortable with him with him being in. And I think Robert Covington and Gary will have really good games. All right, so then Portland hits the road. Starts off with the the new look uh, Houston Rockets. No more James Harden. Clearly, no more Russell Westbrook. Um, Christian Wood has been a just a he took a really gem. bad injury. He, he like he, his ankle got stepped on. Really, it looked. Gross. Is he gonna play? He has yet. He hasn't played in the last two games. Uh, Boogie Cousins played against the the Pistons and the Mavericks. The game against the Pistons, he, I think he went like two for 14. It was really bad, but he was still getting rebounds and getting assists, and he just couldn't throw it into the fucking ocean. But against the Mavericks, he looked really good. I, th- I think that uh, Ennis will be a good matchup for him. Right now, uh, when I've watched Boogie Cousins, he's really interested in shooting threes. Like, he's not going to out-athlete. He's not going to out-athlete. Out, out out-athlete anybody anymore it's just he looks slow he's still smart and can pass and do all those other things but him running pick and roll with victor oladipo or or john wall doesn't scare me and uh victor oladipo and john wall haven't played a single second together uh john wall has had that knee injury and then victor oladipo has been uh running point and uh he was out uh the last game for rest i believe they might have when we play him Thursday, he might have played. They they might have had one game to play with each other. So, being able to project what they do is going to be really difficult. From what I've seen, they Stephen Silas wants them to run fast. They want to have a very fast paced team. But I don't know how you can have a fast paced team with Boogie Cousins walking up the court because he's, he's doesn't have any lateral quickness. So it's it's a very weird team that I think we're very lucky to be playing them when they have literally no continuity. I would say, you know, aside from Damian Lillard, because I think you could pick him every game as your X factor. I think Dame's going to get incredibly He's the busy. consistent X factor. My guy's hoodie, uh, especially if they want to uh, have Eric Gordon on the court. I say hoodie, he go was, down there. He's been their secondary uh, playmaker a lot. I, I, I really like this game for Rodney Hood. I think he's going to get... He's going to get busy. Um, I think this this is an incredibly winnable game. Mm. Um, it's one of those and, know your personnels, though. Like, and we've you can let Deshaun on the road. Dame score, 
You can let Deshaun Tate shoot. You don't let Eric Gordon shoot. Like that's all he's good at now is shooting catch and shoot jumpers. Like that, that that's what he is now as a catch and shoot guy who has to, unfortunately for the Rockets, be the secondary playmaker when the two point guards that fucking their usage rates right now are unbelievably high. This is a weird team that won't have any continuity. If Christian Woods out, Ennis Cantor is going to be a humongous factor in this game because he has the body to keep up with uh, Boogie Cousins. So every minute Boogie Cousins is in, Ennis Cantor has to be in just because of we ain't trying to let Boogie feel inspired to play really hard. If if he sees that Robert Covington or Harry Giles is on him, he's going to want to get rebounds and score in the paint. But if he sees that, oh, I have to work hard to get this, at least wrestle with Ennis for 15 seconds, I'll shoot threes. And he's shooting 22% from three. I think that we win. And I think Ennis Cantor is my X factor. Yeah. um, Can I do a, if if Christian Wood plays? Oh, uh, if Christian Wood plays, we have to read. Okay. So if Christian Wood plays, I don't want it. I think Ennis Cantor has to match Boogie Cousins 100%. I think we have to go small because Christian Wood, very athletic, very good. But I do have faith that Robert Covington can guard him. I have faith that he can guard him because we just saw Julius Randle and he did a really good job. I think that those two athletically and in their games are very similar. I think the real diversifying factor between those two, Julius can pass and Christian doesn't. So I have faith that Robert Covington can play huge and be a very big factor in that game if Christian Wood does, in fact, play. So I've got the Blazers winning if Wood doesn't play. I think they lose if, if he does. He he gave us the the, the business. He, was, he looked like a superstar against us, so I get it. No, we had no uh, answer for him, and we've had problems rebounding the basketball. You put Cousins and Wood on the floor together, That that's going to be – they don't really play together. Um, before before Wall and uh, Vic were out, I think they played two minutes together as a duo. So I don't expect them to play that much together. If that if that affects your decision, no, it doesn't because then they'll just rotate them in and out and gobble up the boards. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I, I think that we win either way. I'm 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 gonna. Okay. Stand firm. I think we win either way. But if Christian Wood does play, I'm going to be very nervous. And then the last game we will discuss on the podcast this week is a rematch against the Chicago Bulls. As we all know, the Bulls beat the Blazers 111-108 back on earlier this month, actually, January 5th. Uh, Portland had a big 20-point lead, that just decided to go ice cold, uh, quit sharing the ball, and we let the Bulls steal a game they had no business winning. And I think that being so fresh, we're still in the same month. I think that has to play a factor for me is, okay, we we owe these guys one, right? Absolutely. And then Wendell Carter Jr. has been out for the last few games. I think it's a knee. Uh, don't quote me on that, but he has been out, out of the, uh, the, the lineup. And uh, Daniel Gafford has taken his place and... I mean, he's taking his place in the starting lineup, not in the rotation, if you catch my drift. Um, so it's uh, Zach Levine, Kobe White, Pat Will, Lowry, and Daniel Gafford running. Um, so I think Wendell Carter honestly would be a a scary enough 
matchup where this makes me feel really confident. Like Lowry at the five isn't as devastating as him and Wendell on the floor. So I, I, I think that we do owe them one ass whooping. And I think that this, I think that we will follow through on that. I think Dame has to be special because I think Zach Levine and, and Kobe can get pretty uh, comfortable against our defense right now. So I think Dame has to uh, match their effort. And of, of course, this is a bad team. So matching effort is going to be hugely important for every game this slate, of, uh, every game of this week of games. So, so I think my, uh, along with just the, the regular hustle stats, you know, you want to be energized coming into this one, knowing that you owe them, owe, the, owe them a loss. I want to see the Blazers move the ball against this defense. It's it's a young team. You have a second-year guard in Kobe White. Patrick Williams starts as a rookie. Lowry Markkinen's been in and out of the lineup, but he came to the league in, in 2017. Gafford's a second-year player. Uh, Levine feels like he's been 21 for the last five years, even though I know he's a veteran. Um, this Thad is Young is really the only bet. Yeah, on Thad game. Young is the only adult that they have on this roster. Well, no, Garrett Temple. But yeah, okay. those two are the only two. Either way, you need to make, and this is what we didn't do. Okay, we played Chicago last time. They had nine healthy bodies, and I think we jacked up 45 plus threes. I want to see Portland not only get 25 plus assists, but I want to see them dominate the paint because Dame should be able to get to the lane at will. And if they do happen to utterly collapse the lane, let's kick it out to absolutely wide open shooters. Let's Mm -hmm put some pressure on the Chicago defense. Um, so I want to see points in the paint and assists through the roof, but I do agree. I think just based on the fact that you got to have some pride, Portland, they owe Chicago one. So mm-hmm. that that's why I'm, I'm going a win right here in my X factor. Ooh. Gary Trent Jr. feels like we're due for a for a 25, 30 point GT game, just like he did against the Lakers. I I think that uh Robert Covington is gonna have a another ceiling game against this bad Bulls team. So I I, I go Robert for my X Factor. And hopefully this inspires him to do so. Yeah. Um do you have anything else or do you want to wrap this bad boy up? Wrap this bad boy up. All right, uh, before we do, uh Tara Biggs and I are going to try and do uh, live pregames on on YouTube, and our first actual live stream will be against the Houston Rockets. So, if you're interested in that, uh, the type of prediction that I've been doing for the last few years, she and I are going to be doing live shows, and we were really ex- excited for the potential of doing something different. We've both done podcasts a lot of time, and we wanted to try something new. So, we're going to just see how we feel about doing live streams. So Thursday, we will have our first. So I'll tweet out the link, and I'm sure she will as well. And if you're interested in pregame analysis from myself and Tara Biggs, please join us. If you listen this far, you're a real one, and I want to thank you for listening to us. We are available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, and Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio, uh, Tuesdays 2 to 3 Pacific and 4 to 5 Eastern. And be good to one another. We're out of here. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night.
Everybody. Let's go!